Hello there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, This morning we're going to continue with our series from the book of James entitled Alive and Well. We want your faith in Jesus Christ to be alive and well. And so in the series, we've had a sub-series because James has addressed the issue of prayer. And so far, we've talked about praying for ourselves and praying for other people during times of trial and suffering. Last week, we talked about praying when we are sick, both physically sick and spiritually sick. And so what I'd like to begin with today is the verse we ended with last week. James chapter 5 verse 16. Where James says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. That's that spiritual sickness we were talking about. But then we pinpointed ourselves on this sentence where James says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people, when they read that particular verse right there, they begin to listen to the voices in their heads. Number one, the voice from the enemy. And number two, their own critical voice. And that voice says something like this. Well, man, you might as well give up. There's no need for you to pray Because you are not a righteous person. You are full of anxiety. You're full of doubt, fear, and sin. So there's really no need for you to pray because only the prayers of the righteous make it to God. And here's what we said last week. And I want to emphasize this again. This passage does not say those with perfect external behavior have great power in their prayer. That passage doesn't say those who are holier than thou, only they have great and powerful and effectual prayers. It doesn't say that prayer is reserved just for the chosen few. It says the prayer of a righteous person. And I want to take time this morning to emphasize the righteousness that James is speaking about is the righteousness that you possess if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. It is His righteousness. Not by what we have done, but because of what Jesus did for us. So I want to tell you this. If you feel weak spiritually, if you feel ineffectual in your prayer life, if you feel defeated It's because you're relying on your own righteous acts. You're not living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it causes us to say things like, well, I go to church. I give my tithe. I taught a class. I even joined a small group. I even took my turn serving in the nursery. See, I'm a good person. Well, I think Jesus would argue against that. Listen to his words in Matthew 5.20. He says this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness 
unless your righteousness, your personal righteousness, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, which I can tell you it doesn't, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, is it any wonder that we believe that our prayers don't work? Because we're relying on our own righteousness. Jesus just said that our righteousness will not get us anywhere. Look what the prophet Isaiah says about man's righteousness. Isaiah 64, verse 6. He says, we have all become like the one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Some translations say, like filthy rags. Now, what caused the garments to be polluted? What caused them to be filthy? It was our own righteousness. You probably know by experience, if you've got a little age on you, that we often make our mess even messier when we try to clean things up ourselves. One of the things that we've been doing over the past two weeks in our house is four out of five of our kids wanted to switch bedrooms. And so we've done a lot of bedroom swaps, a lot of emptying this room out and cleaning it up and then bringing new furniture in. And um, we got to my daughter Reagan's room. Um, she's 14 years old. And Reagan, ever since she was a little girl, has always had this love for cosmetology. Uh, she would dye her hair, paint her nails. She likes to cut hair. She gave a bunch of Corona haircuts to uh, our kids uh, already, and she's really, really good at it. And she's always had a love for that. And so one of the things that she would do is, is she would experiment in her bedroom. And she would often spill bottles of nail polish or bottles of hair dye, and we didn't know it. Because what she did is she tried to clean it up herself. And so she would get a wad of paper towels and just rub that nail polish even further down into the carpet. Or she would rearrange her room and simply cover the mess up. Well, when we pulled everything out, we saw all of these stains. And that stuff's not going to come out. We're going to have to, to redo the floors. But I couldn't help but think, when she was a little girl and she spilled that nail polish... If she had only told me her father, I could have rented a machine and, and cleaned it up right and we wouldn't have those stains. But she had to rely on me, not herself. She made a bigger mess. And so when we talk about the prayer of the righteous, the kind of righteousness I'm talking about is the righteousness we receive from our Father. The righteousness we get only because of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become, don't miss this, the righteousness of God. And so I want to be perfectly clear here. You are still going to sin. You are still going to mess up. You're going to make a mess of your life at times. You're going to have seasons where you're walking through a spiritual drought, where you are in the valley. But it is the righteousness of Christ that saves us all. 
And so even during those seasons, your prayers, my prayers can still be powerful and can still be effective because they stem from His righteousness and not our own. I love the way the King James Version words verse 16 of our text, James chapter 5. He says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. And here's the part I love. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I love that he uses, or in, that the King James uses the English word effectual. Because effectual by definition means successful in producing a desired or intended result. Something that is effective. We want things that we use to be effective. And so let's say you have cancer and the doctor says, hey, we want to put you through a few rounds of chemotherapy. You want that chemotherapy to be effective. You want it to produce the desired or intended result. What's the desired or intended result? That it kills the cancer and it saves your life. We want it to be effective. And so James is telling us that even though we are not always effective in our walk with God, sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall, that even during those times, our prayers can be effective because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we now walk in. And so James is going to move to the Old Testament to give the readers an example to illustrate what he means. And I absolutely love the example he gives. It gives me hope. It reminds me that God uses sinful people just like me and just like you to do great things. And one of those great things is prayer. Effectual prayer. Look at the example he gives in James 5, verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So James is giving us this example of one of Israel's greatest prophets, the prophet Elijah. I just want to give you a couple of really cool things about Elijah, just so you can see this man. There, there's so much. I'm just going to give you a, a condensed version. We're introduced to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. He's standing in front of the Jewish king named Ahab. Now Ahab was this evil king. He marries this woman named Jezebel. Jezebel's extremely uh, evil. In fact, most parents don't name their girls Jezebel, right? And so if your name's Jezebel and you're watching this video, we love you. Don't be mad at me. Be mad at your mama for naming you that. That's just not a good name because Jezebel was this evil, vile woman who worshipped this evil pagan god, Baal. And Baal worship entailed some very evil and vile practices. Everything from 
explicit sexual acts to self-mutilization to the killing of babies. And God watched this go on. And God watched Ahab and Jezebel turn the hearts of his followers as they worshipped, or as they worshipped Baal. And God has had enough. And so there hasn't been rain for six months. And God has Elijah standing in front of Ahab at the beginning of 1 Kings 17. And Ahab tell, or Elijah tells Ahab, it's not going to rain until I pray for it to rain. You have led my people astray, and now there will be judgment. Well, as you can imagine, Ahab gets upset, and so Elijah has to go into hiding. And there's this really cool story. He's at this brook in this little beautiful scenic place called Cherith. And he's got all the water he could want to drink out of the brook. And God has the birds bring Elijah food. You didn't know Grubhub existed back then, but it did. God had these ravens bringing food to Elijah. Elijah, excuse me. He had everything he needed. Well, the brook dries up because it hasn't rained in over a year now. There's no crops being grown. And people are starving to death. You know, when this whole COVID-19 corona thing happened, everyone was going crazy over toilet paper. I even saw some things on social media where people got into fights over toilet paper. As bad as this thing is, I just want you to place yourself in this time period. Can you imagine if we hadn't had a drop of rain in America in over a year? All the crops would fail. We would have food shortage after food shortage. You would see, you and I would see evil that we thought unimaginable. Well, this is the time period right now. This is what's going on. And so the brook dries up and God tells Elijah, I want you to go to this town. There's a widow there. When you meet her, I want you to tell her I sent you and have her give you something to eat. You're going to stay with her. Well, Elijah goes there. He finds this widow and he tells her, hey, God told me to come and um, do you have some bread? Well, the response he got was not a very good response. She basically said, I've got about one-third a cup of flour at my house and one-third cup of, of oil. I'm going to go home. I'm going to bake a little bit of bread. I'm going to eat it. My little boy's going to eat it. And we're going to do what everyone else is doing around us. We're going to die because we are out of food. Well, God tells Elijah to tell her it's going to be okay. Make this bread. And this miraculous thing happens. After she takes the flour and the oil out, it's replaced. And so Elijah watches God sustain him, the widow, and her son for years with these two jars of food. Well, this weird thing happens in the middle of it. The widow's son dies, and she's a little taken aback. At first, she kind of blames God. She blames Elijah, but Elijah's like, just hold on. He prays this prayer. And he raises this young man from the dead. Now, this is pure conjecture, but I thought it was interesting. A lot of well-noted scholars believe the, the little boy that was raised from the dead was the prophet Jonah, the one swallowed by the big fish. Just speculation, but I thought that was very, very interesting. Well, it's time for Elijah to leave the widow after uh, he had been providing for Elijah the widow and her son. And the next time we see Elijah... 
he is on a mountain called Mount Carmel. And he is in the middle of a showdown. This is the showdown of all showdowns. The queen Jezebel has 850 prophets of Baal. And you've got Elijah. They built this huge altar and they have this contest. They say, we are each going to pray to our God. We're going to pray to Baal. Elijah, you pray to Yahweh. And we'll see which God answers and calls fire down from heaven to consume the altar. The text tells us that all of Israel was there. This was a major pay-per-view event. And you may know the story well. I'll go through it quickly. But the prophets of Baal start praying to Baal. They start chanting. They start singing. They start dancing to the point of exhaustion. Minutes turn into hours. And I love Elijah because he's got this sarcastic bone. He begins to mock them. Well, maybe your God doesn't hear you. Maybe you ought to speak up. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. Right? He just goes on and on. And, and finally, they give up. And so Elijah says, well, let me come over to the altar. He said, listen, I want you to bring all the water you can find and soak this altar. It's not enough. Soak it again. Soak it again. And they get this thing absolutely drenched. Then Elijah says, let's dig this big trench around this whole altar. We're going to fill it with thousands of gallons of water. Now remember, it hasn't rained in three and a half years. So if I'm sitting in the audience, I'm like, no, wait a minute, Elijah. Like, that's a lot of water. And so this thing is soaked. Elijah prays. God immediately calls fire down from heaven. It consumes all the wood, the altar. It consumes the dirt. It evaporates those thousands of gallons of water in an instant. Israel turns on the 850 prophets of Baal and they kill them. They expose them for worshiping a false god. What a great, magnificent victory Elijah had, calling fire down from heaven. And then he prayed again, and after three and a half years, it rained. Another interesting fact about Elijah is Elijah was actually one of the two human beings who walked the face of the earth that never experienced death. He was walking one day with his young protege, Elisha, and God brings these horse-drawn carriages that are chariots that are on fire. They, in a whirlwind, whisk Elijah to heaven and Elisha's left alone. Only Elijah and Enoch didn't experience death. And so you have this great prophet. And we don't see Elijah again until the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the gospel narrative tells us that Jesus goes to this mountain where he transforms from his physical human form to a more godlike form. It says that his face lit up like the sun. He was radiant like the light. His clothes turned dazzling white. A great cloud covered him. God's voice comes booming out of heaven and says, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Well, the gospel writers tell us that Peter, James, and John walked part of the way up that mountain. So they're still down below, but they're peeking through the cloud and they see Jesus talking to two people. 
And the conversation they had was, was recorded in Scripture. He was talking to these two people about what his departure from Jerusalem would look like. In other words, what his departure from this earth would look like. His death, the strategy behind it, what it means, how it will happen. That's a pretty important conversation. And Jesus is having it with two people. One is Moses. The other is, you guessed it, Elijah. He is this great, faithful prophet of God. So great he doesn't have to experience death. So great he's given counsel to the Son of God on how he will leave this earth. And we read about Elijah and we would say something like, well, of course, a man like that, yes, his prayers are going to be mighty. They are going to be fervent. They are going to be effective. Of course. But I want to refer you back to verse 17 of the text, James chapter 5. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. A nature just like ours. Translation, here's what God is saying. You know my boy Elijah? He's a lot like you. He is messed up. He is anxious. He has his doubts. He questions me all the time. He sins. Over and over again, he sins. He has a sinful nature just like ours. You know, the Bible tells us we all have this incline towards sin. The very first house that Lindy and I lived in when we were married was this cute little blue house, but it had this long, very steep driveway. The incline was, was incredibly steep. And so when, we would go, when I would go check the mail, and I had my little daughter Reagan, who was just like 15 months at the time, just learning to walk, we had to be very careful walking down that driveway because it was inclined and we could very easily topple over. This is the picture the Bible gives us about us and our nature. We are leaned in. We are bent towards sinning. We have this inclination in us to sin. And we will wrestle with it till we die. Listen to what David says about this incline towards sin. Now remember, David is a man, the Bible says, his heart sought after the heart of God. There was a period in David's life where he was in this rhythmic heartbeat with God. But look what he writes in Psalm 51.5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Remember that word, iniquity. And in sin, my mother did conceive me. And so what he is doing in the Hebrew language, when he uses that word iniquity, he's painting a word picture here. That word means bent over. It means crooked. Much like a tree that I'm sure we've all seen that for some reason it didn't grow straight up towards the sun like it was supposed to. It grew and then it went sideways and it, it got all twisted and mangled because it didn't grow straight. This is the picture David is painting. This is what sin does to us. We all have this sinful nature. And what James just said is that Elijah 
the great prophet had this nature too. In fact, let me show you an example of it. We find it in 1 Kings 19. This is after Elijah calls fire down from heaven, after he prayed for rain, after this great victory over the 850 prophets of Baal. Queen Jezebel puts a bounty out on his head. And so he's running. He's hiding. But God is providing. But he's had enough. He's scared. He's tired. He's full of doubt. Look what he says in 1 Kings 19.4. While he, Elijah, himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush sat down under it, and he prayed. Now listen to what he prayed. That he might die. And here's what he says. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough of this marriage. I've had enough of this relationship. I've had enough of this job. I had a, I've had enough of this addiction. I, I've, I've had enough of living under the bondage of debt. I, I've had enough, Lord. I just can't do this anymore. What in the world are you doing, God? Just kill me now. I'm so distraught. I'm so scared. I'm so tired. Please, God, either kill me or tell me what we are doing. I've had enough. You see, friend, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. This great prophet who raised people from the dead, who called fire down from heaven, who didn't die but was called up to heaven, who stood on a mountain and talked face to face with the transfigured Jesus. This great man of faith had the same fears, same doubts, same sin, same nature. So we go back to the text, James 5.17. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. He prayed for it, and even though he wasn't perfect, God listened to his prayers. Not just once, but again in verse 18, James 5:18. Then, this is after the three and a half years, he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. God listened, and God's hand moved. Elijah prayed for God to send rain to heal the land, and God sent rain to heal the land, and the land bore fruit. So let's put it all together one last time. James 5, the latter part of verse 16 through 18. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You see, he prayed for God to heal the land, 
and the land was healed. And friends, our land needs healing. Not just from the coronavirus. I think we need healing from so many other things. And so would you pray for our land? Would you realize that if you are in Christ, if you're a born-again, bought, immersed believer in Jesus Christ, that even though you stumble, even though you fall, your prayers are mighty and effective. Would you pray for this land to be healed? Would you realize the words of Robert Law are true when he said, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done on earth. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. There's going to be a picture that comes up on the screen. Uh, This is a, a picture of me as a little boy. And I've shared this illustration with you before, but it it was a pivotal moment in my life. I was about the the age of this picture here, and I'd gotten one of those rubber kickballs. And I lived with my mom, and we always lived in these kind of low-rent townhouses or apartments. And we were in these little townhouses, but this one wasn't too bad because they had like a little lake and a little sidewalk around it, and a little playground. And so I remember being out. It was a winter day. It was super, super cold, but it was sunny. There was no wind. And so I was out kind of walking around, kicking that ball up in the air. And I wasn't paying attention to where I was. And so I kicked it as hard as I could, and it sailed. And as you can imagine, it went right in the center of that little lake and just dropped. No wind. It just, there it sat. And as a little boy, that was a big deal for me. Now, if it wasn't freezing cold, I probably would have swam out and got it. So I didn't know what to do. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to pray. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up with my mom, and we never went to church. But I remember my grandparents talking about prayer. I remember watching them pray. I remember visiting their church a time or two. So I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray. And I I prayed this prayer like the faith of a child. You know, God, just send some wind. Send some wind my way so I can get my ball back. Well, no sooner than I got done praying, you guessed it, the wind blew. Now, I'd like to tell you that God blew that ball right to the the shore of the lake where I was standing, but he didn't. He blew it like 50 yards away. But I, I remember bending down and picking that ball up on that shore of that little lake. And from that moment on, even before I knew who Jesus Christ was, I believed in the power of prayer. And I still believe in it today. But what happens to me is probably what happens to a lot of you. Life gets busy. Or you go through this spiritual desert, this spiritual drought in which you feel disconnected from God. It could be your sin. It could be busyness. um, It could be uh, your priorities are are out of order. But you, you feel this disconnect. And then you begin to feel like, well, I'm disconnected. God will not listen to me because I'm out of his favor. God doesn't want to hear from me. I'm such a wreck. I keep missing. I keep messing up. Well, the next time that happens, I want to encourage you to do two things. Number one, go to James chapter 5, verse 17. And remember, 
Elijah was a man with a nature just like yours. But he prayed fervently. And number two, pray. God is waiting to hear from you. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. But for heaven's sakes, don't stop praying. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.